Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast Extravaganza, episode 141, I think I'm right in saying. Um, and yeah, the running run, running run, winning run ended yesterday, unfortunately, when we drew to Southampton, so we'll be dissecting that in detail. Once again, uh, Danny and Rob are unavailable this week. Um, both got things going on, so... I'm joined by Extra Cannon podcast host Mac Johnson, McIntyre, the celebrity, as uh, Daniel would call you. <laughs> He's laughing at that. Uh, McIntyre, we saying? Yeah, I'm doing right, you know, having a good time. Uh, pleasure to be on, as always. Lot to talk about. Um, that's about it. Disappointed at the weekend, but I think there's still some positives to take, and you know. I think a lot of the season right now is is looking forward to the World Cup at this point. So I think there's some discussions to be out there. I don't know. A uh, lot to say. Not a we lot will of have to say. plenty of yes, uh, World exactly. Cup content. Yeah, especially, uh, especially leading up to. Um, exactly. When, when we're not, yeah. uh, obviously there's no Arsenal stuff, so we'll be having a lot of interlow there. A lot of, lot of American, a lot of, lot of English. I mean, it's fun. We're in the same group. Um, keep your you know eyes peeled is that a right thing when you listen to us only look out uh, there might be ears, some stuff going ears on. peeled ears peeled i guess i still that expression had, like used to make me uncomfortable when i was a kid um <laughs> but regardless just pleasure to be on pleasure to be here and let's kick on let's get into it yeah um and i just want to point out because i always do this at the end of the podcast if you're listening and enjoy please review we've uh Maybe some words. If you have anything to say about it, we'd very much appreciate that. Um, but, you know, we'd take uh, a five-star rating on Spotify. Um, if you think it's less than a five-star, please don't give it four or three. Um, because we want it. we just want to be happy. Um, and, yeah, I thought I'd say that. Anyway, Southampton. Um, you mentioned there were some positives there. I guess the fact that we're sort of in the same place uh, going into the next week. Um, we've had talks about the title. Um, so if you're looking at it from that sort of prism, um, yes, we dropped points and Man City won. If we're looking at it from sort of our initial aim, which is to get into the top four um, and, you know, with a slightly more realistic as uh, outlook on it and the fact that we don't think we'll win the title then it's not been a disastrous weekend. Um, obviously, very disappointed in the result because um, I think we should have won that game or we could have won that game. Um, Southampton are much less aside. We seem to have some sort of stumbling block there. Um, but our rivals didn't pick up points either. Chelsea and United drew. So we're, we've got the same gap of, with them. Um, and of course, Spurs lost to Newcastle. So it wasn't too, too negative, negative in that aspect. But yeah, Mac, we'll start with your thought, your just general feelings around the performance. I feel like I say this quite a lot on this podcast, but it was the type of draw that feels like a loss uh, because it's a draw that you know you should have won and that you dominated enough of the game where you deserve to. And I mean, I want to say all credit to Southampton. I can't really say all credit to Southampton. They scored a goal when they deserved it. Frankly, it was with the run of play at that point. Um and tactically, Hudel coped really well. Uh, out of halftime, they were really strong. But I think 
a lot of their strategy and a lot of their tactics, and we'll get onto the refereeing performance because it was abysmal. But I think so much comes down to, you know, physicality when guile and skill doesn't work. Um, that was, I think, a lot of what we were defeated by. And I don't know. I think for for it's a young team, lot not a lot of experience, and I don't say that as an excuse. I say it as kind of a reason why perhaps a reaction to the dark arts of of football is not necessarily as you know strong as it might be with more with an older team. But in general, like just thinking about it in this perspective, last weekend City dropped points and we won. Right, we took a you know a four point lead. It's back to two. It's still a lead. We're still top of the table. Um, did I like the result? No. Did I enjoy watching the game after the first 45 minutes? No. There weren't really many good moments, but I still think the positives to be taken are mainly individual. Um, I thought low level of performance, but I just wanted to pick out Gabrielle, who had a really staunch performance at the back. Um, Don't worry, we'll get into that. Yes, but just in general. Um, I'm not awfully pleased, but also I'm glad we didn't lose. I don't think we deserved to. I don't think we would have. But a draw isn't the end of the world. And I think if we can just start ticking back up in form a little bit, there's the chance that we can leave this one unscathed. Yeah, I think before we get into the sort of narrative and the structure and sort of the tactics of the game um, and how it flowed and what happened... I'm going to ask you straight away. Do you think there's enough, just about enough to be concerned about based on the fact that we, we looked at the Leeds game and thought second half was the only bad half of our season. We can sort of compartmentalize it. The fact that we come back from the playing in the Arctic Circle just a few days before on an artificial pitch. Um, it wasn't heavily rotated. Leeds are a high energy side and that sort came through in the second half. Um, and it was just sort of an off half. Can you look at a run of two games now in which a similar theme has happened in that the second half has been not good, and we'll get into that, and start to say, is that a little bit of a concern at this point? I think if I could call it a run of two games, I would say it's just a run of two games. But it's been a theme of the season so far. Um Often our substitutes can look a bit aimless, can fail to have an impact, and I think that has to do with a lot of why we've been a little gun-shy in the second half of games. But also, even if you look at the two most recent Europa League games, like the first halves that we played against both of those teams were much more solid, were much more together, were much more I, kind of unified. The, I mean, I, I, I would, with you, you went to PSV, and I'm I, happy to I, take I, every take on that, yeah. See, I think the PSV performance was pretty brilliant. Uh, from start to finish, well, yes. the second half was probably stronger, um, which is why it makes me less concerned. But maybe there's something to do with the away games getting maybe. a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I also think, you know, a team at home is going to be buoyed, and it doesn't help that whether you talk about the high energy of leads or the overwhelming kind of physicality and grappling if you've gotten grappled tugged and yanked around for 90 minutes you're not going to be lively but again um i've seen a lot on twitter about kind of oh the starters playing all the minutes not a lot of rotation yes i understand that it's like psv in the europa league i hope now that we've qualified officially 
we can maybe start rotating a little bit more and for God's sake, stop playing Bukayo Saka and Europa League games. But like I do, I am frankly a little bit concerned about the stamina levels and about kind of our ability to be intense for a full 90. I don't actually think it's down to youth or inexperience. I think we show, especially in the first half of games, we have all of the tools to dominate. I think it genuinely is that we are playing the same players in every game with not quite enough rotation for my liking. So on that, I'm quite, I'm sort of quite on the fence. Like I don't know where to position myself on that because, yeah, okay. My my initial outlook would be completely agreeing with you in that. Why and this is why I called it particularly in the early Europa League games. I was like, I think we we got to rotate heavily, um, and then I heard about the the thing of periodization, which is uh, essentially the. F- the, it's the I, don't, I mean, I sound like an idiot because I'm not a, a, a sports science guy, am I? But it's something to do with you need athletes need their body to be constantly tired out in order to sort of sustain that momentum if they're playing every th- few days, which is why they need to play. And I also think, and it was also after Arteta's comments on Saka, um, cars going past. Um, Arteta's comments on Saka in midweek in that the top players have to play 70 games. You think of us in the Champions League next season, we are going if we are there, which we hope and think we probably will be. They're going to have to play every few days, so they should get used to it. Um, and also, I I sort of think I trust the the sports science that and the information that the club have available to them to make the right decision on that. If they think they can play Saka in every game uh obviously if some rest like he's not completing every game um then so be it you know they they have more information than us they will be aware um there's certain players who are getting more rest who they probably think are more vulnerable and and their bodies need that rest but certain players like Gabriel and Saka and Shaka who are playing every minute because they think they don't need that rest and then on the other hand, I saw their second half against Southampton. I was like, the players do look visibly knackered at times with some of the sort of mental uh, blanks and some of their passing and also just physically. And that makes me think again, it makes me go the other way. They should be getting the rest. Um, and I think if it continues, we continue not to rotate and we continue to look tired in our Sunday games, then I think I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to say what I'm seeing and that I think they should be rested. But for the moment, I'm still just about on the side that the club know what they're doing in terms of this periodization thing that's where i'd stand i need to say yeah yeah absolutely and i understand that completely and i do agree with a lot of your points i think one of the things also about periodization is that that cannot kind of continue forever you know as much as you do absolutely have to kind of have that consistency as an elite athlete there are other ways to get it like whether that is a particularly intense kind of 11-a-side training game or whatever it might be, there are different ways to really ramp your body up to a prolonged level of physical activity without like without playing every minute. And you'll notice, you do mention kind of sporadic minutes. Thomas Partey has, you know, not come even close to playing more than a half in the Europa League at a time, I don't think. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But... They take out Ben White almost every game, kind of regardless. He is always the one substituted. And I think that has something to do with that little niggle that he was talking about, that we've been talking about in previous shows, you know, in previous weeks. Um, And I do agree generally. 
I think that the kind of physical management of the game has been good. But I don't know. I think that, to an extent then in my mind, falls to a manager in a game like Southampton. And maybe this can be a good segue into kind of the next conversation topic, because I think talking about substitutions is, you know, a thing that can happen. Um, What did you think about Arteta's management of the game kind of in response to Arsenal losing control a little bit? Because I think it was, as we've occasionally seen from him, a little underwhelming. Um, But I don't know, like if there are certain players looking leggy, tired, like they can't press, kind of it should, in my mind, at least make sense to replace them sooner. But I think you will have a slightly more nuanced take on this than I, so I'm happy to to hand you the mic for a sec. Um, in that case, I will keep on going um, as Alfie deals with some difficulties. Um, I'll give my perspective. I think just from my end especially, um, I don't know. It looked Saka, Odegaard, Odegaard especially, looked a little leggy. I'm glad we brought on Vieira, but I think... I was questioning, I was texting my dad at the time, questioning kind of the the substitution of Jesus and Enketia and that little rhythm bumping Jesus out to the left. I thought Martinelli was having an okay game, but I think that he is the type of player who is more likely to instill himself on a game um, kind of as other as opponents tire than again. If it's a fitness risk, I totally get that um, because he's not always like fully excellent. But yeah, just in general, I think the defensive substitutions, I think a lot of us wanted to see Tierney start. Might be fitness because he's working his way back in. Um, but yeah, you know, there's, again, discussions to be had. It looks like Alf is, is gagging for this one again. He is he has reviewed his little mishap. Um, Alf, feel free to chime in, please. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> distracted for a second. Um, oh, good luck. No worries. Yeah, it's okay now. Um, yeah. I was quite distracted, so I wasn't fully listening to what you were just saying right then. Um, yeah, should we just get into the game then? I guess. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I was just like talking about substitutions and kind of the efficacy of the discussions over who should have started at left back, okay. small things like that. A little bit of a preview. Yeah. But yeah, I was especially talking about like the players that looked a little more tired and kind of the decisions that were made. So if you've got any direct input, feel free to weigh in. Otherwise, happy to just segue right on in no i think i agreed with what you're saying before that little discussion um uh sorry digression i had so i'm gonna have to tell someone to shut up because i'm getting mad texts anyway um yeah uh well i guess we'll get into the just before the one major lineup call which was the left back i know you touching on there on it there I the only rationale that I had for Tomiyasu starting in that position again is it worked. We spoke about it last week, didn't we? It worked with the specific tactical ploy, right? Against um, against Liverpool, of course, yep. against Salah yep. Trent. Yeah, and then last week we said in hindsight it should have been Tierney with the sort of passing angles he can create in that down that side. And I think this game just sort of reinforced that. And I think. After Zinchenko was not deemed fit, he would he would have we missed him in this game. He would have been the natural player to play left back in this game. Um, the 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 rationale I was trying to think why is he picked Tomiyasu in this position again? I came up with two potential theories. One of them was that Southampton are one of the most dribbly teams in the league. They have high dribble numbers. Um, they rely a lot 
on players carrying and dribbling the ball into the final third to get them there, to get them into the penalty area. And as we know, Tomiyasu is excellent at dealing, particularly with uh, when he's on that left side, uh, sort of inverted dribbling. Um, and yeah, and maybe Arteta thought we've got Tomiyasu, he can stop those dribbles. The other thing was that Tierney played on Thursday and now he sort of played consistently on Thursday. We know about the fragility of his fitness and his body that perhaps, you know, perhaps he couldn't play in this game because he played a full 90 minutes on Thursday against PSV. So Arteta sort of settled into using him in that that position. I still think it was a mistake. I think it significantly, I don't think defensively, it was, I know Tomiyasu could have done a bit better on the goal, but I think generally defensively he was fine. He won some one-on-one battles. I think it was it was more about the ball progression. You know, when Tomiyasu comes out to Tomiyasu on that side, he did it in the Leeds game, he did it in this game. Naturally, as he's right-footed, I know he's good on the left on his left foot, but as we said, he can't shape passes with his left foot down that side very well. He can do the short passing on the switches with his left foot, but not those sort of, you know, line-breaking passes into midfield that Tierney does even bring. I know Zinchenko does it better. Um, and that significantly hindered our ball progression on that side again. Anything? Yeah. yeah. Anything I mean, it's not as if he's like Joao Cancelo, where the outside of his right is, like, better than most left-footed players left. Like, he doesn't have the touch or the range with the ball kind of outside of his body to bring it inwards. Um, Which also limits, I think really limited for me, uh, Martinelli's position. I almost called him Gabriel Martinelli. I don't know why I need to do that. We've got three freaking Gabriels in the team. But um, Martinelli's positioning because he kind of has to come just those two yards further infield, which like doesn't seem like a lot, but it kind of inhibits his, in my mind, his best skill, which is beating defenders on the outside shoulder, but also kind of driving at them. When you have to start two yards further in field, I feel like it just tends to like squeeze play a little bit more and make kind of the back pass a more necessary option, which was one of the real trends that I wanted to talk about kind of in terms of general game stuff. I felt like we did not get much joy off our left side for one of the first times this season. And I think kind of lacking a left-footed presence on that side was a big part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it was the sort of constant need to come inside down that side. Um, let's get into the start, though, because that was positive. I Absolutely. Thought, I thought on the first half in general, the first 25 to 30 minutes were pretty great. Like I thought, I thought this game is going to be very one-sided. Um, I didn't expect it to be that one-sided as it was in the first 25 to 30 minutes. We were absolutely all over them. Our patterns were very nice. The sort of Saka-White partnership was was looking promising. Odegaard was really influential. And then I th- I sort of think there was a 10-minute period. We're going to get into the refereeing performance later. Yes. I thought there was a 10-minute period where the ball was basically not in play at the in the first half. It's sort of 32 minutes in, so it's around then. There's a 10-minute period where nothing happened because there were stoppages every five seconds. And I was like, the referee handled that part of the game horrifically and it really disrupted our momentum, I think. We didn't we didn't really recover. We couldn't get yeah. back into the flow of it and it really helped Southampton. Um, and I saw Clive tweeted about it. Um, and yeah, one other thing I wanted to point out, uh, which sort of relates to the sort of second half theme um, that we were talking about earlier, but 
Scott put up this graphic, uh, and it was even game state, XG, and gold tier. And we yeah, are like, like that. Yeah, we are elite going forward and defensively when we're at an even game state. And then when 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 it's uh, plus or minus one game state, so we're one one goal up or one goal down, we are like a Premier League average team. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, and I think there is kind of, maybe that's a question of mentality and having something to play for, but I also think that is a reflection of when games are, you know, have a goal and when they don't. I mean, that's, that's stupid, but I think we're fast starters. We're good out of the blocks, and typically that first goal can often settle a game kind of into more of a rhythm, um, and sometimes I think we as a team find it hard to break out of that, but that's been true for the last three years. Um, I think I agree with you and what you might not have kind of noticed, and I don't think you touched on, was that switch was almost exactly when Hassan Hoodle switched to a back four um, from his original three. And that, I think, it was an interesting switch from him. Or sorry, I lie. Reverse that. Flip it. Switch to a three from a four. Um, I think naturally kind of the point of a three is to create wider overloads and to really shore up the center with those three defenders. But also there's a much, I find with especially lower skill Premier League teams, there's a much greater reliance on physicality in a three because you know that kind of stepping up, getting tight, playing really gritty, you have people to support you in that. That is a practice tactic. It's really common. Um, And I think that switch and kind of as they slipped into the more physical side of the game, you talk about the disruptions. In fact, Arteta talked about the disruptions in his post-match press conference. Um, Going from kind of the end of the first half and especially into the second of the game, there was no fluidity to the game after those first 30 minutes. And some of that was refereeing, but I also think some of that was just a tactical instruction from Southampton to get tighter, get closer, and really start playing people as opposed to playing the ball, because frankly, they did most of the time. Um, yeah, I think that was the, that's, you know, my analysis, that's what I saw. But if you have anything to add, please do. I'm also happy to step into all of the other points that I know we have. No, I agree with that. And I thought Shaka and Odegaard were sort of key to that early uh, dominance, I th- the way they were Absolutely. taking those half spaces, they were kept popping up in them, Odegaard with his nice passing, Shaka, he attacks that space either with penetrative runs or with the ball, there's one moment where he just sort of seared through that space, he cut it back to Odegaard who like scuffed it wide from sort of the edge of the box, and I was like that, <laughs> I don't remember Shaka ever doing stuff like that back in the day, uh, that sort of it's ball, not, it's aggressive not Shaka ball know. exactly um, but Something else we don't know, didn't know we had in him was uh, a sweet right foot, um, and he scored again. He's getting yeah. into positions consistently. Um, he's already equaled four uh, his best ever Arsenal goal tally, which is four in a season. Um, he's now got four this season, uh, and it's a really nice, lovely work goal. Again, it's that pattern: get the ball to Saka, and then he can run off. White can run off him on the overlap. Right, it's really improved in that aspect. I think he shows great composure to pick out Shaka. I think earlier in the season, he just sort of struggles in that position, that overlapping position. And it's a great pick out and it's a lovely finish. And I'm like, as soon as we score that, I was so convinced we were going to win because it had been so one-sided up to that point. 
and it continued to be for a while after. Um, and obviously, we'll get into the downfall. But yeah, anything you want to say on the goal? I mean, beautiful piece of work um, from Shaka. He actually he made a joke on his Instagram about you know the joy of scoring a goal with his right foot as he did in the Europa League on Thursday, and then goes and does it again. Hilarious. But great finish, way to occupy that space from him. Um, an interesting touch on a different Twitter metric, or a different stat metric that I saw on Twitter, that's what that is. Uh, it's a metric kind of looking at different, actually, I retweeted it. It's an article from StatsBomb looking at two new st- kind of statistics that they've added to their whole setup. So expect to see those on FBRF soon. But um, one of the statistics was line-breaking passes and the other was talking about kind of distance from opposition when receiving touches and also when opponents receive touches in different zones of the field. And one of those zones is zone 14, which is the one directly at the top of the box. And yeah. I think the best way to illustrate our dominance and Granite Chaka's positioning is to look at that statistical switch from last year to this year he was our second most touched player in that zone in terms of both defensive capability and in the attack. Um, by the way, we are the best team in the league, or I think, no, we are the best team in the league at defending in that zone specifically, um, which is pretty cool. Manchester City are second. Yeah, but it's it's us, uh, City and Valencia are the three best teams in the world at defending the center of the field. But um, that field, or that position, and in fact ninth ranked in the Premier League right now is Tomas Partey, um, is our holding midfielder, which I think does speak to how much more advanced Jacques is getting. I mean, he was playing like a second striker for some of that game when we needed him to, kind of right up alongside Jesus. Um, and I think it's it's just it's cool to watch, cool to look at. Um, and if you're ever wondering about a Yuri Tielemann statistic, um, he leads, I think, is like in the top 10 in the league for you know time in that zone touches in that zone and is also very he's like top five in the world for effective just from there so that's a, a thought of how he could fit into our team but also how he could probably not replicate what granite jock is doing right now um to go back to a debate from the summer but yeah just a little statistical step in but i do think shaka really is at the top of his game and i think he is for the first time that I've seen in his Arsenal career, starting to draw bodies, starting to be a threat. Players are really collapsing on him. And kind of they used to collapse on him because it was like, ah, it's Xhaka, he's on the ball, we can, you know, dispossess him and go score and he'll probably get a red. Now it's quite like, oh God, it's Xhaka, he's on the ball, he's going to do something ridiculous with it, we kind of have to close him down. And that suction into the middle normally does such a great job of kind of opening space out wide. And it did early on for us. And I think that's probably why, in my mind at least, Hassan Hoodle switched to the back three to kind of give a little more coverage on those vertical balls that we like to play kind of off the corner of a defender between, usually between like the outside back and the center back. Yeah, that half space area. Um, yep. Yeah. I think we also should have had a penalty. We should know that. We definitely should have had a penalty. Maybe two, but definitely one. Definitely um, one. Yeah. Well, did you see the referee's comments on that? Because please talk about it. The referee's comments. Yeah. Did you not see? Uh, Okay. I'll say in an interview, Gabriel Jesus um, said that he like went right to the ref and asked him, why didn't you give it? Um, And 
he and the ref says, and I'm gonna quote this as best I can remember because I can't, I don't want to pull it up on Twitter right now. I mean, I could go to my own likes, but that would take a brick. Um, the ref said, "I saw the foul. It was a foul. I would have given a penalty if you had gone down, but you kept fighting him." So, just in a game where he booked Saka for a dive where Saka was fouled. The fact that he's telling Jesus to dive, I think, is indicative of the lack of consistency. He literally said, if you had gone down, I would have given a foul. But because you basically stayed fighting it for like one more second, I didn't. That's, I mean, that's not how that works. But He did go down. He did. Yes. He just did it initially. He did it late. That and, is yeah. utterly ridiculous. Like, he is hauled to the ground there. Yeah. It's a penalty all night long. United got a penalty the day before for the same thing. It's stonewall, in my opinion. I don't think it's and, one of these sort of 50-50 decisions. It's shocking. And the thing is, it's a 50-50 decision in terms of league consistency because we often see this not given for other teams, which is kind of why, yeah, the, United, which is why the United one was questioned in the first place. But then... But it's a blatant of, foul. Yeah. Anywhere else on the pitch yes. is a foul. Correct. And well, to be fair, not in this game, apparently. But, you know, well, that's another that we'll we'll get onto it in two seconds. But I do think the Jesus penalty shout more than kind of the shove on White or the one on Saka or the one on Jesus again. Um is really it's because he's kind of the it's the two arms around him from the back, it's the wrestling him to the side. But um, if you looked at the, there's one, I think it's a talk sport or no, it's a football daily video where they had their, whoever their horrible refereeing, like he, he's a referee that became famous in the Prem for like having a disaster class. And he's now their refereeing expert, which I think is hilarious. But his whole thing is like, he comments on like, he sees it as an entanglement of legs. That's the thing. First of all, I saw that. Yeah, that's, that was. Yeah. <laughs> what is? Why is he looking at fucking legs? That's not where the action know. is happening. Exactly. You look at it's the body. You. Um, yeah. But also, their legs do tangle. And um, Chilada Sar, the center back for Southampton, does touch the ball after he throws Jesus off of his leg, and the ref is like, "Yeah, no, he's like the expert, whatever expert was like, uh, yeah, he's 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 you know he's touched the ball." Therefore, I wouldn't give a penalty because they've just tangled legs. You're, you're, you're fucking blind, lad. It's got nothing to do with his legs. But I don't know. It's, it's a bad call for so many reasons, a bad no call for so many reasons. And I think, frankly, that penalty seals the game in a lot of ways. But also, like, this is a narrative that we've said a lot in recent years and are returning to. It is, you know, the refereeing biased against Arsenal. Yes, they are, historically, whatever. But in this game especially, when... It, this is just my opinion. Refereeing and refereeing decisions should never be the element that changes a game. Like decisions have so much much momentum for and against, right? There is so much to think about in terms of how different aspects and different events in the game affect the run of play, affect momentum, affect mentality. That's all fine, but refereeing should not be the standard that flips that switch in favor of another team. I don't care who the team is. And frankly, I think it says a lot about the way we set up and the way we seek to play that it does so often happen against us. It's for the same reason that you'll see games where we'll have three fouls in the whole game, two or three of which are yellows. The other team might have 20 fouls in the same game, four of which are yellows, or even often is usually about two of which are yellows. Because it's just small chippy thing. Like it's 
it's he's got, I don't know. I find that some teams play with the referee in mind, and I don't know if that's a modern tactic or something, or just a, kind of a it probably a is. Approach, it probably but is. It, it it shouldn't be down to the ref. Like the ref is meant to officiate the game, not to change it one way or the other. And that I think is my biggest like point of disappointment. Yeah, but unfortunately, they often do. That's the reality right. of it. Um, and I think there's an argument that's that's a penalty and a red card because. They, the double jeopardy thing does stand if there's no intent to win the ball um, and he's intentionally brought him down. Um, remember the David Luiz thing against Wolves. He's just hold him down. There's, there's clearly no intent to win the ball there. So that... Oh, is, fucking... I forgot about the David Luiz one. How oh, the fuck are you going to give that? I don't, don't get me ah, If you ever want to hear me ah, scream about a referee more than oh any game, God. go back and listen to that podcast where I, I scream at Craig Pawson. I'm pretty sure I was on that podcast. Oh my god, that was horrible. Oh, I've never been so feud fuming. Um, yeah, I've never f- been fuming that much. Whatever. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned at that point, if it's a penalty and red card, we possibly double our lead from a penalty spot, and then you know it's two nil. Southampton down to ten men. I don't think they come back into the game at that point. Um. And I think there were some more questionable ref. I I was so infuriated with the ref, the referee, from about five minutes in because he there were yeah. so many decisions where I was like, that is just objectively wrong. There was Saka got fouled f- probably four or five times, which weren't given. In, in one, so the, the, my favorite Saka one was in one sequence of play. He is fouled by one, pl- three players, one, two, three. And then the fourth player was like the first player who had fouled him came back and did it again. It's tugs. It's kicked to the legs. He's dancing between everybody. Goes down right on the outside of the box. The referee plays an advantage for Southampton because his legs yeah. get like tangled he, he, up in the defender that cleared it. He he gets fouled, has the ball for about a split second later as the ref has done this to signal uh advantage yeah. and then he loses it and then he doesn't bring it back even though he loses the ball a yeah. split second off that is a horrific referee no, but, but he also credited a foul to Saka on the end of that play you can see him go like and yes. again yes. The, oh, no, the, the, lis- the listeners can't see this because Alfie and I are gesturing over a camera right now and this is an audio episode but like he gestures one way and then just flips his body and points the other way as Southampton go on a clean break it's ridiculous yeah, it's, um, it's ridiculous but there's also and, yeah, um, both of the Lianco ones and get into those please Yes, I mean, well, there's the dive as well. The dive, the dive. Um, <laughs> the dive. which is in- insanity. He gets booked for that. Yep, uh, Mohamed Salah, who yeah, shoulders him to the ground, <laughs> and he gets booked for diving. Whether there's some sort of unconscious bias there, um, I've certainly seen certain players not get booked for that, um, who may be of a different race. I don't know. Um, I think that's a genuine <laughs> argument you can make at this point. Um, there's definitely a, a maybe an un, um, unconscious bias uh, in certain refereeing decisions. But, I mean, it, it might not be a foul because there's very minimal contact, but there is contact and he's he's not he's not he's not dived. He's not dove dove. No, d- whatever the verb is. He definitely didn't. He didn't. It, it's contact. It's... It, again, yeah, as I'm saying, it might not be a foul, but not everything. There's such a sort of... Not everything has to be a foul or a dive. Like, there are grey areas. There, there's, yes. there's an area in between. Yeah. 
And and I think the gray area is him getting muscled off the ball, which I would argue he did. I don't think what Salisu did was a foul. I also don't think it's a dive. I don't think he's gone to ground with that in mind. He's gone to ground because he's just been shoved over. Um, yeah, it's not it's not simulation. Yeah. He's not attempted to win a foul right. by flying and throwing himself to the ground without any contact. He is he's not in, probably not intentionally gone to the ground at all. It's ridiculous. Yep. Uh, also in that category is uh, Chaleta Sar again on Ben White. Two-handed, shove in the back, flips him over the ball, no call. Uh, my favorite was Salasu on Saka a second time, although it might have been Roman Pera. can't remember who. Uh, one of their center backs on Saka on kind of the near side. And I think, Alfie, this is why he gets him for a dive. Um, he is behind him, has both arms wrapped around him, shoves him to the ground. As we see often with Saka, it goes uncalled. But then Saka is like complaining on his knees to the linesman. And you can see the linesman kind of like gesture and have a conversation as to like get up, move on with it. The referee of the game, like the central referee, does the same. Forget his name. Don't care. Hate his guts. Anyway, uh, point is that I think what you kind of forget is that these referees are having a 90-minute conversation. And if, you know, the linesman just goes to a central ref, all right, listen, he's gone down, he's looking for fouls, and on the next instance when he gets shoved over, he hits the dirt, you might be like, listen, that's the you know second or third time you've looked for a foul this game, that's a booking. Which, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't be saying that. They should be looking to protect exactly. Bukayo Saka, and and that and that's the issue. Consistent. He's, not, he's never a protected player ever. No, he's never consistently has kicked every single game, and it infuriates yeah. me because some at one point he's going to get badly injured, and the refs, you know, if they show an ind- uh, a strong indication or warning to players that you can't just keep doing this, get you can't get away with this by precautioning them. Sorry, cautioning them. Um, that can serve as a, a sort of uh, an inhibitor for future opposing players um, to do that sort of rotational fouling on Saka. Um, and, you know, comments like what Steven Gerrard said back after that Villa game do not help in that fact he's got man up, which is ridiculous. Um one of the most stupid things that guy's ever said, and now he's gone anyway, so fuck him. Um, yeah, that was infuriating. There's also the Lianco, um, which somehow he's Brazilian. He was the, the double. Yeah, I mean, he's he's punched Jesus in the back twice. Jesus does make quite a lot of that at the same time. How can you just be allowed to punch someone twice in the back um, quite aggressively? Um that's arguably violent conduct. And what was the second one? Well, the second one is the Enketio one, where they're dueling. Oh, of Lie- course, of Lienko, course. And if you don't mind me sharing this one, tries to headbutt him three times from the ground upwards, tries to headbutt him, goes forehead to forehead, rears back, shoves him, gets close, tries to headbutt him again, and then puts a hand to his throat. Like, and <laughs> Enketio slaps the hand away fair dues but like four actions in one play plus a shove each individual action is constituting of a red card did it did it uh did he get booked for that one because he did he get got, booked he, he, got, he got a yellow 
for yeah, that I mean, for that string of four red card offenses, he's given a yellow. The same thing Saka got. He also, for he also committed, yeah. committed several fouls in that game. I, I I'll, I'll, I'll look at the stats on that one while you, feel, while you I f- rant. So I feel like he did at that point. Um, and yeah, that's just... It was just the ref in general. Like, there were so many decisions. Like, he just... He let play go at the wrong moments and then he'd call it back at... at and, you know... And it stopped the play from flowing at the uh, at the wrong moments again. He completely disrupted the game, and you know I don't want to get too preoccupied on the ref because we are going to talk about the negatives and the the reason why we didn't get the points in the end uh, in a minute after Matt gets this stat up. But um, uh, three fouls were recorded. Three fouls were recorded, but so <laughs> felt it felt like more. Well, see, that's the thing. Half of the fouls are moments of physicality that aren't called, right? It's us complaining, you know, oh, that should be a foul, and they're not called. Um, this is just a little anecdote from my life. The pleasure that I get for working um, with my athletics department here is that I get, I'm get i a statistician for uh, Kenyan men's soccer. And uh, we, we had a game two weeks ago where... Uh, they were probably like the foul count at the end of the first half should have been about 20 to five. Like they were chippy, they were rough, they were rude. And our coach at one point is yelling and about kind of the umpteenth thing, a player in actually very similar to Jesus has gotten two arms dragged back and then shoved. He falls over, no foul call. They gave a throw. He's complaining. Um, and the refs were kind of talking up to, amongst themselves after it. Right at the end of the first half, and they go, you know, basically their justification to the coach is that like because it hasn't been one player fouling repeatedly, or like one player fouled against repeatedly, the thought is that like, and that's kind of that second example with the Saka one. They might call two fouls against him of the ten that there are, because you know it's hard to like stick an advantage in your head and go, oh yes, that's plus one to the foul charts, because that's also not counted on like statistical charts. An advantage played in a foul committed are two very different things because there's no stoppage. And so it's like, and it's kind of a question of the kind of, the precedence is specific fouls by one player, then specific fouls against one player. The third of that category is persistent fouling by a team, and it's the least called. But like, that is kind of the level that we're dealing with here in terms of like what the statistical notebook says. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a shame when and it, the, the referees can impact games as much. And we've, we've said it many times, but before people, people were probably screaming at us right now saying you're going too much on the referee. You need to focus on the fact that we weren't good enough to win the game. And absolutely that is true. At the same time, you are, you know, you can you can recognize the deficiencies in our performance whilst criticizing a referee's performance, which undeniably impacted the game with neg- with wrong calls, like objectively wrong calls, which is frustrating as a fan. Even if you can acknowledge that we should have won the game, we should have played better in the second half. Um, and it is forty three minutes in, and we haven't t- spoken explicitly about the second half yet. Let's Back. do that. Let's do it. About a year ago, or sort of about 10 months ago even, we spoke on a podcast, or I don't know who it was, but I was on it, um, 
about the fact that we would score a goal, we'd go one nil up, we'd take a lead, and then we'd play, we'd stop playing to some extent. We'd play within ourselves and maybe sit back a bit. And we've established it's not how Arteta wants his team to play. But when you look at the data, it's objectively a fact. Um, let me just get the Scots thing up again. So when you look at this graph, it's got uh, XG against and XG4, um, but it's seven. It's weighted 70% to XG and 30% to actual goals. Um, and this is XG at an even game state, so that when the game's, you know, when the teams are drawing. And um, yeah, it's Arsenal and City miles out in front in the top right corner, which means we're great when the game is level. Um, and, you know, no one's even in the next two tiers. And then you look at when it's a, a plus or minus one game state, so one team's got an extra goal. I mentioned it earlier, but I'm just explaining it again. Arsenal are, you know, middle of the road. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth. So... Why do you think this is? Why, Why again, I asked you this after Leeds last week. Why do you think in the second half we became sloppy? I know there was the tactical change from Southampton, but I don't think they were... Leeds were great in the second half. I don't think Southampton were great. Ultimately, they created one chance in the whole game. Name me another chance. Oh, wait, I can't think of one. Um, you look at the XG, that's the only XG that was above about 4%. Um, the, the the Gallagher... Gallagher? Armstrong goal. Um we created, we'll get onto the missed chances when we talk about individual players, but we created three big chances and only took one of them. So we still should have won this game. I think the XG was sort of 1.4 to 0.5 uh, with us with 1.4. So, you know, it was still a game we should have won, but the second half was undoubtedly poor. And as, as we said last week, do you put this down to, you know, fatigue? Or do you think there's more of a mental aspect to this? Or do you think it's tactical? Because we seemed, in the last two games, we seemed to become sloppy in possession, lose our principles of play. I think if we'd literally, you know, play, tried to play through the Southampton press with any sort of guile, we would have had a lot of joy because they were playing a high line in that second half and pressing us high. And we could have had a lot of space in the counter. There were countless times where we did get into the final third and our decision-making was terrible. What happened in that second half? Again, is it similar to Leeds? Are I, it's for me, yes, but I don't know. I think it's when we sit in, isn't it? It's when we commit ourselves to defending a lead rather than attacking a second. Like, it's almost like we are more, like, it's like once we score, we're more afraid of losing a lead than we are of playing our football. And that mentality speaks of age. Um, once you win, kind of, the f often it'll be the fear of losing that'll undermine you once you're in a winning position. Um, and I think, I don't know, well, the goal itself, to get onto it, lovely move by Southampton. Can't complain about it. El Yunusi dribbles past Tomiyasu, slides a late-running Stuart Armstrong. Um, as much as we talk about, you know, defensive alertness, it's really hard to track a late runner from 
deep in the midfield, slanting through six different players. You're kind of set up in your defensive block, and to move with that is hard. It was a scuffed finish, but there's nothing really Ramsdale can do about it. Um, You know, it's a goal. It's a goal that happens, and the game should have been put to bed beforehand, and the game should have been put together or put to bed afterwards, right? it's, It's inexcusable that we've lost this game for a lot of different reasons, but I think that there's just this... Sorry, yes. It feels like a loss. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. And that's kind of what I've said. But like, it's... I think my difficulty is that at the end of the day, you can see it's when players start really lumping the ball clear, right? Feeding it kind of back to that machine. In, In some ways, letting a team that should not be dominating us dominate us. Like... The, you know, it's a question not of like what's happened, but really what's changed, what is different from the first half. Um, and I think some of it can be explained away by kind of la- this weekend lack of trust in the refereeing, in the officiating, in having the game on a fair tilt, which is rattling. But also, that can't be explained against Leeds. The refereeing was fine. That was just kind of them being energetic and us failing to cope. And I think. Specifically, I do think it's still a mentality issue. I think we still are very young. We really struggle kind of conceding goals. But again, and I'll bring it back to kind of the substitutions point that I was making earlier. So much of the job of the manager is to prepare their team not only for to dominate games and even play, but to prepare them for every scenario. And with how well this team is doing, we should be prepared to go a goal up a fair bit of the time. You know, that's a thing that we've done, believe it or not, a lot this season. We're quite good, good at winning. And the fact that we are so routinely unprepared to defend a winning position falls more on the management team than it does on the players for me. It's more that I feel like we're so unprepared when we take a lead, how, what to do with right. it. Like, I think we can defend leads, but I think... We often, you know, we don't make that extra push. The thing is, we did score and then we continued to be quite good. And then it was just, it was after half time. And I do think that momentum was stalled with that long period where nothing yes. happened. The ball wasn't in Absolutely. play. I'd love to know how long the ball was in play for that sort of 10 minute period. It can't have been more than like two minutes, genuinely. I'll, I'll watch the replay and time it and edit an audio segment in. Do it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was... It was a hard watch that second half. I think we had one chance in the whole half and it was when Odegaard played Jesus in um, and he sort of stalled in front of the keeper. I think that's a chance he might put away in the earlier weeks, but he seems slightly... He seems like he's lost a bit of confidence in front of goal. Um, and we we knew about his finishing deficiencies to some extent before he came. You know how he historically underperforms XG. Um, but you know, it's still a chance you expect him to take. Um, other than that, we didn't respond at all. I thought the substitutions were questionable. I understand Odegaard and Vieira have similar skill sets. So sort of bring on the fresh legs in that position is one position we have someone of quality we can bring on. But Odegaard was probably our best player in the first half in terms of offensively. He was really created the two biggest, two best chances that weren't the goal. Um, for for Jesus and he he looked really influential in that right half space. Taking him off, we could, lost any threat down that side. I think after Odegaard came off, I don't remember Saka touching the ball. <laughs> uh, 
Um, it was that bad. And I think we became more left-sided towards the end of the game when we had uh, Eddie come on that side and Tierney. I understood the Tierney sub. It probably should have come earlier. We spoke about Tommy Asu struggling. I think Jesus should have come off for Eddie. I think it just wasn't Jesus's day. And we said last yeah. week, Eddie should come on earlier at Leeds. Um, but Martinelli had some promising moments in the first half with his dribbling. So I think keeping him on would have made sense. Did you have any rationale for those, those subs? Because I don't think, I didn't get it. And Vieira struggled, I think, with the physicality in that game. He got continuously barged off the ball. Yeah, 100%. Um, actually, I, I think Vieira was quite all right. Like, Apart from a couple of moments of physicality, really? I see. I quite trust him in like our more defensive pressing system, and I think he's good in the attack. As like obviously that's his big skill set. I think, frankly, there were probably a couple of like set piece deliveries that could have gone better. But I also like. I don't know, man. Um, I think it would his a better substitution for him would have been for Saka, so that he can have those fresh legs wide, but also. Odegaard is fine interchanging wide. I think he and Vieira actually have quite a good understanding. We saw that in the Europa League. Um, they do interplay really well, and their skill sets actually complement each other nicely. And I don't know. I think if you're looking for fresh legs, don't bring off the one player who you know is going to be very good with his pressing intensity, who loves to cause problems in the center. Because uh, I don't think Odegaard looked all that sluggish. Um and to your point about Jesus, I made that comment earlier, and I uh, this is when you were distracted. I was texting my dad about it during the game, and he was like, why do you bring Martinelli off there? And I said, I think I said at the time, unless it was a fitness risk. Yeah, I, I yeah. did think that at the time, because, you know, it that's was, like, that's it, my it one question. Exactly. He was a doubt for the PSV game that he didn't start right. that. But then at exactly. the same time, if he is was fully fit, surely he'd be more fresh than Saka and Jesus because he didn't start that PSV game. I don't know. I mean, you'd you'd hope, wouldn't you? Yeah, but then let's t- touch on Jesus quickly because he hasn't looked completely right since the uh, since the Liverpool game, and he obviously got that concussion. They obviously deemed it not serious enough to be um, take uh, precautionary measures in in terms of not playing him. Um. I thought he was good against PSV, actually. I thought he was really good. It was just his finishing that was lacking. Are you at a stage where you are concerned with his finishing? Because we know about it. I mentioned it just there historically. It was fine until sort of the last few games. Now he's dropping below his XG quite a bit. Um, I think the first half chance he gets right at the end of the half. It's a great ball from Odegaard. It's a difficult chance because it's coming... It's you know it's high up in the air when he has to take it. If he doesn't take it, then the the defender's going to get to it. So he has to take it. And he's more focusing on the technique and just getting it on target rather than directing it into a corner. I think it's the second one where I'm like, he's quite clearly through. It's not like he's sort of just sort of through with the defender just beside him. And I think he takes he he's got to go across the defender more so he can get onto his right foot and get more of an angle to shoot. But he takes it more central and towards his left foot. And he allows the defender to get back across him, um, and I think he he's got to be more ruthless there. I, would you say you're concerned with his finishing? Because I think the other aspects of his game are still very good. You know, the way he drops deep, his combination play, his pressing, um, his dribbling is still excellent. I think there there are just some concerns creeping in about his finishing. 
Yeah, yeah. I and this is frankly, this is I think a lot of what we saw during his time at City. Um, a lot of the concerns about him not being a good enough finisher had nothing to do with his actual ability and more with his consistency. He was so effective out wide for them because in his kind of moments of weakness where he wasn't as in good form with his finishing, he still had all of the buildup and the dribbling and all that ability, and he was cutting inside, causing problems, setting up goals. Like, he's a very complete player, and I think... Um, I, 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 I feel like I always start that sentence with, oh, my best mate's a City fan. True, my best mate is a City fan. Um, and kind of his, you know, ledger on Jesus was that he was underutilized or poorly utilized at City because Gabriel Jesus is kind of the best in a system where he's the guy. He's the man, right? And that's what he is for us. He is our best player, um, theoretically, right? He is, you know, leading the line. He's transformed this team. I think there's no question about that. But it is kind of at the the really thick, heavy end of the season right now where, you know, Fixtures coming really fast and kind of, if you're in good form, you're in great form. Look at Roberto Firmino, look at Harry Kane. I'm not going to talk about Erling Holland. you've seen it. But compare that to a player like Jesus, who is in really good form in the first two thirds of the pitch and even in the final third, but who is just kind of lacking that fiz- that finishing touch. Am I worried? No, he'll get his goals. But at the same time, I think that the sooner he starts getting his goals, the better it will be for this team, because I think his his goal scoring really does bring a lot of confidence to this side. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and we know that finishing, from a sort of more statistical standpoint, finishing, uh, there's fluctuations of finishing. and absolutely. There's, always pa- there's always patches, exactly. Um, and he has been, historically, a bit of a patchy finisher. And hopefully... You know, hopefully he just needs one to fall for his way and he puts it in and he'll probably be, you know, very confident in front of goal again. I think he's just slightly lacking that confidence in his final moment at the moment. Um let's touch on some of the more in some more individual performances. Um you mentioned Gabriel earlier. I think we I, yeah. I already mentioned Odegaard. I think those two were probably the our best two players. I thought Gabriel 100%. Gabriel Imperious for a second second street second second week running, he has been our best defender um, and one of our best players. Won everything in the air like there were so many dangerous, threatening set pieces from Southampton. Obviously, they got Ward Prowse on them, so they're going to be dangerous. Which he was just imperiously, you know, dominating the air from them, winning those duels. Um, and I think he he slightly had to you know, babysit Saliba through these last two games to some extent. I think Saliba's had two off games to, by his standards that he's set so far this season. I thought on the ball, he has he's done it a couple times recently, that tendency to play a pass too short and then the opposing team uh, nips in. Um, and Gabriel was the better defender in this game. I thought on the ball in the first half, he was excellent. If you manage to find a sort of compilation of Gabriel first half passing in this game you'll sort of know what I mean the way he's pink like punching it into players in between the lines beautiful um yeah really good performance from him 
No, I 100% agree. And I, I like your comments about Saliba as well. I wouldn't call them bad performances, but, you know, he's not giving us the, the meteoric highs that he did early on in the season. Um, and to an extent, it's a weird comment, but almost it feels like maybe it's because Ben White has gotten better at being a right back. Like, I, I found that quite early in the season, Saliba was often very good, but was especially good when he kind of had the confidence of having Ben White, you know, almost next to him, kind of also babysitting him a little bit. Um, ben, I, I noticed especially in this game, White got caught up the pitch a lot by the Southampton transition. And I think Saliba looked a little unsure at times whether to cover wide or cover central, kind of whether to track run central or to be aggressive wide. And though he really didn't get caught like off it, he also wasn't really snapping into challenges. Like he was pretty reserved with his tackling, kind of convent like content to just like jockey outside. But there were a couple of moments where Gabriel did have to kind of come over, cover, shadow someone away from the goal to let defenders recover. And you know, great for him. I think it's funny because teams tend to target our left because that's where our wing backs tend to play a little higher. Um but I think Southampton actually figured out quite quickly that the right, that our right was the place to go because they were getting not, you know, no joy on our left flank. Of course, they scored from our left, but that's, that's different. That's a spell of possession rather than a counter. Um, yeah, no, Gabriel was great. I think I do actually also want to shout out Ben White, not only for the assist. I think he played very well before he was brought off, um, had a tricky matchup and did a good job of it. Um, with kind of both Armstrongs really combining around him and often a two-on-one isolation did a good job of dealing with that. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I do think it was a good game. Um, I think we actually kept James Ward-Prowse very quiet. Um, he normally has a bigger impact, especially in kind of a big fixture like this, and keeping him quiet was great. But yeah, overall, I'd say agreed with you. Gabriel Odegaard, to an extent, Ben White, um, can't really say anything about Ramsdale because he had one thing to do and he didn't do it, but it was also a situation where he couldn't do anything. So that's life. Yeah. Um, I want to talk just about Partey quickly. I feel Please. like I've never, I've never seen a player be who can be so like, can have such a five or six out performance, but like, not like a sort of meh. I mean, like, he could do some world class things in a game quite a few times, then some absolutely disastrous stuff in the same game. It's strange um, because there were some really good passes in the first half, I think. Um, and generally, he was sweeping up. You know, Southampton couldn't retain the ball for the long periods in the first half, and he was sweeping up really well. And then in the second half, some really sloppy moments, you know. Easy wall passes he has to complete, you know, easy what passes yeah. around the corner to get us up the pitch. And I think he has to take some flack for these for the Leeds game and this game in that both times in the second half, he sort of went missing as a form of ball progression. And that is like, you know, you expect him of his quality, him to be the player to sort of take the initiative and get us up the pitch. Uh, and he sort of went missing in both of them and was really sloppy. I don't know. I, was, I found it myself really frustrated with how he performed in that second half yeah i agree and i think you know defensively he was still good made a couple of key tackles was was good in the trenches but i think i i, I think he does have 
maybe just a bit of a weaker mental side of his game um, because we do ask him to do so much and he's not always going to be able to kind of do that to the level that we'd like. But no, I do definitely think that it could have been a stronger day from him in the second half, especially in ball progression. Um, really, there were a couple where I was just like, honestly, almost maybe better to bring Sambi Lakonga on in that moment. Um, wouldn't have minded to see that as a sub, mainly just because for better or worse, Sambi tends to take some risks and they often pay off in ball progression. It's one of my favorite parts about his game. Um, and if he's had you know the confidence that we've seen from him in the Europa League in the past couple of weeks, I think is definitely replicatable, replicable, replicable. That's that word. Yeah, he can replicate it um, against a team like Southampton. Yeah, I really want to do an ECP after a Europa League game because I feel like I want to yeah, have a Sambi. Let's, let's, I, let's. I want to have a Sambi discussion um, because I thought it, it was definitely there to have after the PSV game, but maybe we'll do it after this PS this week's PSV game. Um, yeah, overall disappointing at the end of the day with the chances that each team had we probably still win that game most of the time even if the performance doesn't feel great which is why i'm not overly concerned based on the fact that even if we put on that in that performance in every week it would still sustainably give us good results if you know what i mean um but it wasn't our best far from it particularly that second half was very poor um and yeah, frustrating um, because we know we could have played more than that. We know that Southampton weren't good. The Leeds won. If we'd lost to Leeds, I could have, you know, accepted it more because, you know, Leeds were good. Southampton weren't good, which makes it more frustrating because um, it was so winnable. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, we haven't drawn since January. We've won 13 out of 15 games. We just you are you're always bound to drop points, and we've said it so many times this season. Um, when we've been consistently been winning, we've been like we know we're going to drop points in games where we think we shouldn't. You know, it's going to happen, and now it's happened. We've got to say we've got to sort of compartmentalize the fact that that is bound to happen unless you go and win, unless you're Manchester City. But even they, you know, they drop points against Aston Villa and Newcastle, so. Yeah, and lost to Liverpool. Um, so it happens, and we're going to drop more points, and we're still top of the league. Um, but it was a good discussion because there are some little flashpoints of concern, um, particularly with the way we've continued in the second half. I still think it's a small sample size because it's two bad halves in a season. Um, but if it, you know, if we go go and play Nottingham Forest next week, and we have a very bad half in that game, I think maybe there'll be more to say there and then when we play Chelsea but at the moment I'm not too wor worried but I think to provide ba balanced analysis you have to point out some of those flaws um, yeah anything else to say on Southampton before we wrap this up Mac? No I think that was about it um, agree I think there are some flaws um, and agree that this was a good episode um, it's been it's been a pleasure and I do think as well like just kind of taking the draw in context you know Dropping points is a part of life. It's football, and I'd rather have it happen to a team like Southampton than to, you know, one of the big rivals. Then, you know, I don't want to, yeah, you get my context. I'd rather have a 1 1 draw to Southampton than something like we saw at the end of last season with Spurs. So 
that is that is always a preferable situation. Um, yeah, that's that's good for me. Perfect. I hate that stadium, St Mary's, because we just oh. never. Uh, we beat them in the COVID season when there were no yeah. fans. But before that, it's been a place where I've had just despair yeah. endlessly. And it's quite funny because they're not loud. Like they they do their little you know Saints come marching in thing, and okay, I think sometimes maybe we get reminded of Spurs and it's Vietnam all over again. But so I shouldn't make that joke. But um. <laughs> Oh. I, I mean, come on now. But like, I also think that yeah, it's it's know, not like, like Ellen Road. Yeah, or, yeah, or, or you know, James's uh, Park or, or Selhurst or one of the big ones. Yeah, but, like, like when, but like, when you can hear the Arsenal fans more than you can hear the Southampton fans for the entirety of the game, like it's I I think I don't know what bad luck or juju is around that ground, but we need to kick it out. Kick it out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Charlie Maywood. Charlie Maywood was there, and he said that it was much better at the Emir- uh, Yeah, it, the Arsenal fans were much better. So Arsenal fans were absolutely. There, so. I, I mean, shocker. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think we've covered this pretty comprehensive, comprehensively. Um, yeah, that one. Exactly, and I hope you've enjoyed it um, as much as I have. It's it's sort of therapeutic when you sort of go through it. It makes you feel better about the game. Because um, yeah. I was very annoyed yesterday. I was made a lot better when Spurs lost, but yeah. Um, marketing opportunity of a lifetime, Mac. Uh, got a couple. Um, I'll take two. First of all, I would like to say shout out to Aston Villa. Firing Steven Gerrard was far over time. And current number one replacement is Unai Emery, which would just add so much texture. Oh, so much texture to this already crazy narrative season. But but mainly, Alf, um, my marketing opportunity of a lifetime is um, I would like to shout out uh, my new favorite green leafy vegetable, um, which is the cabbage. And and if you're wondering why I'm shouting out cabbage, which might seem incongruous, then you have not heard. Um, this is, of course, a reference to things in your corner of the world, Alf. But there was a cabbage on Twitter uh, that what was placed on a live stream when Liz Truss was elected and outlasted her in office. It did not die. So shout out cabbage, shout out the British political system for providing the entire world with entertainment for the last two months. Um, My God. And shout out Unai Emery for the job he's about to do with Philip Coutinho. So yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm Rishi Sunak. Oh God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I'll just say my shout out is leave a review because, well, that's my prompt. Do it. And obviously, we love you uk And at Alfie Colshaw on Twitter, you can follow me and you can follow Mac at MacJohnson22152. Mac, we need a song. Yeah, we do. Um, we should really Let's think about here. these before we come. We start recording. Yeah, we should. Um, you know what? I've got it. Um, it's super random, but there is there is a song uh, by by a British rock band called The Automatic, um, titled "Monster." Parentheses. What's that coming over the hill? Um, it yes. is 
yeah it is a classic like football pre-match song it's the one that we play at kenyan um which is pretty fun because our coach is british and is one of the, my favorite people uh but just generally i it, it's a good one and you know what's coming over the hill elf it's chelsea there is there's is a monster approaching we need to be in good form for our last big test before the world cup um and also the world cup can also be you know construed as that monster so for for the sake of of a nice extended metaphor let's go for monster by the automatic perfect i'll back that um Uh, i will send you that mp3 file or you can do it i think you're editing but yeah cheers cheers um well yeah thank you very much mac um it's been a pleasure uh leave a review follow me and mac on twitter uh the links are in the description actually of this podcast and we'll see you later bye bye goodbye Is it a monster?